Hello listeners, welcome to another episode of the In Every Season podcast. Thank you for joining us today to listen to a topic um, which is disappointments and discouragements. Today I'm joined with Susan and she's going to be telling her story. Trust me, it is such an encouraging story. Like there are points where I actually got shivers and it will bless you. So stay tuned and listen and be prepared to laugh because, you know, the combination of the two of us is just something else. Anyway, I hope you're blessed by it. Let me know what you think. Um, let me know what parts you enjoyed and don't forget to follow us on instagram we've got a new page which is the in every season pod um and that's the alias so follow us on instagram okay okay i'll leave you enjoy this podcast bye thank you for joining us today susan on in every season so um today we're going to talk about disappointments and discouragement so first of all, if you'd like to introduce yourself to our listeners, tell them a little bit about yourself, and yeah, we'll get started from there. Hi everyone. <laughs> I'm not even sure what you call everybody because on my podcast I say hi guys, but like I noticed that's a bit sexist. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I'll just say hi everyone. <laughs> listeners. <laughs> Um, my name is Susan. Um, oh gosh, you see this question about introduce yourself. It's just like one of those really annoying, like, I just, it's so cheesy. So I am, um, and I also, because I wear so many different hats, I also have to think, okay, who am I introducing? <laughs> to say? Mm-hmm. Oh, it's like, what direction do you yeah, want which direction do you want to introduce? So I, I usually just say that Susan is amalgamation of lots of different things and um is a storyteller that's generic enough um so I tell stories um you'll find me on the internet on YouTube telling stories with my camera whether Mm -hmm. it be even at work and professionally I'm telling some sort of story with the data that I'm using as a project manager um I'm always telling stories to my children in some random state or form so I've got two kids um and I you know I love God I love I love creating stuff I just love telling stories and I think there's a story in everybody um Mm. that is is power and powerful enough um to change and to influence and inspire I think that's the best short way to introduce me really (laughs) oh oh, oh, and I'm a podcaster as well I do a podcast called Yep, Yep, I Said It, um, mm-hmm. where I create... It's hilarious. <laughs> we create hilarious, well, as a um, um, safe space to talk about very uncomfortable truths that we don't mm-hmm. often like to talk about. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's... that's mm-hmm. Yep, Yep, I Said It. Yep, Yep, I Said It. I was listening today and I was just laughing. Like, I was <laughs> like okay, I'm looking forward to to our uh, podcast today because I know that we're going to talk about some heavy stuff. Yeah. Like, I'm sure we're going to laugh in between. <laughs> so yeah. definitely looking forward to it. So yeah, that was an amazing introduction. It was different. So thank you for um, coming and joining us today. Um, and we're now going to get into you telling us a story. So I guess um, the topic for this episode is disappointments and discouragement. So talk to us a little bit about that. Um, 
um, what is one of the biggest disappointments or discouragements that you've that you've had? Um, well, when you told me that we were going to be talking about this, one thing jumped right into my mind, and I didn't really want to talk about it because I feel like I'm I'm always talking about it often, although I haven't for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was to do with <clears throat> like fertility and the journey that we went on. But the funny thing is, I realized that even though it could be summarized as one um, one disappointment, actually, there were lots of different disappointments along the journey, lots of different things that I didn't realize that pain could be brought up in. Mm. I think, um, so to tell you the story, we got married in 2008, which... Mm-hmm we didn't realize was the height of the recession. You know, when you're in this love bubble, you have no clue about what the world is. I was there with you. I was there with you. I was married in 2008, so I get you. The thing is, I felt like everybody, there was just this, like, gotta get married, gotta get married. Yay, married. And then, like, it was like we suddenly, like, the the rose-tinted glasses were smashed on the floor. The contact lenses of whatever you were wearing were just, it was just gone. The veil was removed from your eyes. Um, and for us, it was very drastic. So the biggest disappointment for us was, you know, we went on honeymoon, came back. My phone rang at my desk at work. I was really happy. I picked up the phone. I was like, oh, hi, babe. And he was like, oh, hi. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm saying hi to my husband. Like, I was like that kind of girl. And um, he was like, um, yeah, so I'm near your office. I was like, what? And he was like, yeah, um, I got no job. And <laughs> I was like, they made me redundant. And it was just, it was hell. I just remember thinking, no, I hate the job that I'm in. That means I have to stay in this ridiculous job that I hated. Um, And I just felt, and then everyone around me was being made redundant and things. And I just felt incredibly sad. And like, because I felt like we'd done everything right. Like we'd done everything right. You know, ticked all the boxes. I just felt very punished. Incredibly punished. And so I had that brewing, I think, already. That was the first disappointment. Then, you know, I lived with my mother-in-law for two and a half years. Um, um, wait, 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 sweet. Wait, let's just stop. <laughs> How was that experience? How was that experience? Yeah. Well, I think, do you know, it was... It was hard. It was, I'm not even going to try and sugarcoat it. It was very, very hard. Um, but it's also an experience, weirdly, that I would not trade. Yeah. Because I think we both gained in knowledge of each other. We both gained in respect for each other. We both got to understand who each other was very quickly. Yeah. You know, it was from day one. So it wasn't like, you know, we had like two months living by ourselves and realized we couldn't cope. So we moved in. It was, yeah. I got married and we were all living together because she lived with him. Okay. okay. Um, so I moved in and it was just like, you know, it was a very different vibe. It was like, you know, you're moving into someone else's home. It felt, mm-hmm. even though it's your home, it, it was very challenging and it was particularly, I guess, discouraging and disappointing because I had in my head that we we're only going to be here for a few months and then we we're just going to bounce um, just to make her feel comfortable that I wasn't just stealing her son away. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously with the recession, that 
you know, I was extremely disappointed that all of a sudden we now have to stay here. We haven't got another choice. And all my other friends who now were getting married years after us, they were moving into like these luxury flats, just them and their hussy. And, you know, they were driving fast cars. We drove a three door, one liter, 20 pound a year road tax car. Like it was the tiniest box. I never forget that car. In my <laughs> never forget it and everybody else at that time were driving bmws audi like they were driving like really deluxe like these guys were like making stupid money and and we weren't and one day my husband decided to go to the gym with them and they all parked up at the traffic lights and they all drove off and my husband's there <laughs> <laughs> when the light turned green, they all went vroom. <laughs> this thing was no speed, right? It was just, it was, it was like, I remember before we got married, I used to boast, like, oh my gosh, my car is so economical. It cost me only £30 to do a full tank, blah, blah, blah. But that is not so hot when <laughs> it's everything else. They're riding in Bima and you're there. And then everybody at that time was doing like 30 pounds a head dinners. I don't know what people were thinking in the height of the recession. 30 pounds a head dinner. I'm sitting here trying to work out how we're going to make it through to the end of the month to pay for this 20 pound a month road tax card. Like it was, it was, it, that was, that disappointment was so bad. There was one time we decided that we were going to upgrade our car. Oh my days. It was so embarrassing. So we went to um, Car Craft. I'll never forget. It was just down the road. And we saw this beautiful mini. It was so gorgeous. It was like, it had the best, like we did a test drive and everything. We were like, yeah, the base was kicking. It had leather seats. It was it was just beautiful. Yeah. This Oh, it was so nice. And we were like, yeah, we're going to get it. So I, this is the same company that I got my car from. So obviously, you know, you're doing lease or whatever. So I was mm-hmm. like, right, okay, I want to upgrade this car to the Mini. Mm-hmm. That's how the credit rating was just like, no. I was like, what? I was so sad. I was like, okay. My husband was like, you know what? No, I'm going to do it. I'm going to put my, of course, it's going to go from me. The only reason why it's bounced on you is because obviously we've had money issues where we've not been able to pay the mortgage. So, and it's gone on your account. So obviously my credit rating should be perfect. It should be fine. Mm-hmm. Ah, cancel. It didn't go through on him. Ah, I just went yeah. leaving there in a chuku 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 <laughs> You have to take your car back with me. <laughs> Ah, so I think disappointment really started brewing, but I tried to do, you know, positive thinking, affirmation, pray through it, like do all sorts of things to kind of just not allow it to kind of, you know, bubble. And obviously then you're coming home and, you know, you're you're a new couple, you're trying to like, you know, get your groove on and then mother-in-law is there knocking it. She's like, Justin! Justin! Oh, it was. Listen. Listen. If I tell you, oh, no, I was not having a good time. 
and then I was going to work doing recruitment. I hated the job. I was I was actually praying, okay, that they wouldn't make me redundant. They were making everybody else around me redundant. So sometimes my manager would call me into the office and I'd be like, yes, today's the day. I'm not joking. I was working in a pod of deaths of four. No, six, six of us. And one by one, everyone was getting either made redundant or leaving. Redundant. Or, and I was like, yes, they're going to make me redundant any minute now. And then that was when the recession was really, really bad. And they started closing Woolworths and all of this stuff. And so they were like, oh, we've got, um, we're going to close this office, but we've got our bigger office in Hammersmith. But because you live so far away and it's going to take you so long, um, and I was like, I thought, yes, this is the moment she's going to say, so we're going to have to make you redundant. She was like, so we've decided that you can work from home. I was like, no, no. <laughs> I was thinking, so what? <laughs> it's a recruitment company. I how much money I was making them. Zero pounds, zero. I could not understand why these people wouldn't let me go. Just let me go. <laughs> I was the only one left in the whole team. People who've made money, you made redundant. You're keeping me. Why? Why? I was begging, please, God, please let this be the... Every day I was at home now and everyone's like, oh, you must be so happy you're working from home. The phone would ring. My stomach would churn. Like, I'd be like, stop calling me. I don't want to call anyone. (laughs) Horrible. I hate it. I absolutely... I absolutely hated it. I, I, I just, I just, I, I was just absolutely, it was horrible. And I just remember thinking, no, this could not get any worse. Like it, this legit couldn't get any worse. And thankfully I found teaching and that was good. And, and things started to pick up at least on a work front. Yeah, so you became a teacher for a little while? So yeah, I was a teacher. Um, I was a teacher for quite a while, actually, almost 10 years. Almost oh, 10 years. Um, I got into teaching, but then... I think by that time we'd been married, I think two years and I was starting to wonder why we weren't pregnant. And I felt really, I thought in my head, we ticked all the boxes, you know, we weren't, we didn't sleep together before we got married. Hell, we didn't even kiss before we got married. Like we'd we'd really, really tried. And I thought we were going to get married and he was going to touch me and I was going to be pregnant. I just, I just, that was what's going to happen. And it didn't. And it was really hard to understand why, why, why is this happening? And it was, it just started to become more of an ache. And I just didn't realize how obsessed I was becoming, checking all my periods, checking everything. Like how long did it take take you to actually get to that point? Did you think, okay, you know, after first six months or after the year or after, was there a point that you had in your head that, okay, yeah, we're going to start having babies now or get, or getting pregnant? Well, my husband is considerably older than me. So he's eight years older than me. So, and all his friends had kids. So I, I was ready for us to have kids from day one in my head. Um, Mm. and I've always loved children. So I couldn't understand. I think it started to get to me maybe when we were approaching a year. Okay. And there were other things in our marriage that I wasn't happy about. So there were other issues, just, you know, being married couples, there's, there's things Mm -hmm. that you're not quite, you know, we didn't know each other that well. 
yeah. I mean, we met, we were married, we met and married and got together and everything within a year to 18 months of knowing each other. So everything was really fast. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just couldn't understand why we weren't getting pregnant. And I think when we clocked a year, that's when I was like, no, we need to, we need to really look into this. Mm-hmm. Um, and it became, it just started to become a source of monthly disappointment. Every time my period came, it was a monthly disappointment. It was a monthly heartache, a grieving every single month, every single month, a grieving. When my period came, I was so miserable. I was so down. Um, and you know, you, like, even though I think about it, it's, it's like the, your body gets into a rhythm of being in trauma. I think, I think even now, maybe that's why I still struggle so much hormonally with moods because I think your my body was just getting into a habit of yes this is going to be the month this is going to be the month this is going to be the month um this might not be the month oh my gosh I can feel a cramp oh no my period is here oh I'm so sad this is so upsetting this is so upsetting okay there's another month this could be the month this could be so you're like you're on this constant monthly exhausting isn't it even the bible says it like Hope deferred makes the heart sick. It you know, really did. Just like hoping and like, yes, yes, it's gonna. And then, yeah, I completely understand what you mean by that. Just hoping, and then you're grieving it every month, every like, month, and and that's peppered with. Um, obviously, at that time, I was I was teacher. I was doing my teacher's training. There was very little money going in my husband you know found a job and then got made redundant again and then found another job and then this guy ran off with his money it was like there was all these other factors but there was just general like things are never going to be right for us like I just decided that this was never going to be right and I remember um, every year when I was younger, I wrote, a, and up until I got married, actually, I wrote a list every year. Okay, 2002, this is what we're going to achieve. 2003, this is what we're going to achieve. I planned my life out every year. I tried to at least have a list of things that I wanted to achieve. Mm-hmm. Whether or not I achieved it, I don't know, but I always wrote a plan, right? And before we got married, we wrote this really detailed plan of our marriage. We wrote a marriage document, essentially, um, where we were doing in premarital counselling. And I remember when we first lost, I think it was the day that, I know I talked about it funny, but the day we went to, to try and get this other car and mm-hmm. it didn't happen. And that was after we'd, we'd had the redundancies and obviously having the interruptions with your mother-in-law while you're trying to get jiggy with it, all that stuff, right? And then that day was like I decided plans don't mean nothing like mm. and I ripped up the rule book and I was like yeah do you know what whatever happens happens in it like mm. Mm. and it, it you know I just started there was quite a lot of I guess I made some wrong agreements with some truths that weren't true mm. um they were real but they weren't they weren't truth mm. um can you give us an example of one if you remember I can never get good things good things never come mm. Mm. Um, another another lie that I believed I think back then was about my marriage I believed that I was never going to get my needs met mm. um, he was a robot like there was lots of 
there was lots of things that I I banked and was like, yeah, this is this is the mode of operation now because all that other stuff hasn't worked out. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so we were on this journey, and and then I was like, we need to investigate what was going on. Um, and that in itself was hard. Like, I think there's a, I think men of a certain generation are reluctant to get doctors mm-hmm. involved. Um, mm-hmm. And to be fair to my husband, to be honest, he was just like, we are just about eating. Why are you even bothered? Like, can we just make sure we have bread? And I was like, we have a baby. <laughs> we were just like, babe, seriously, we, can we make sure that we can have yam? Like, it, it was <laughs> We were just coming at it from two different, and I was just like, "No, I need a baby now." And he was just like, "No, sit." Like I can now that I know him better. I'm like, he legit was just like, "You are crazy. We need to eat." Like I don't understand. Like, why are you buying ovulation and pregnancy tests? What are you doing? Can you use that money to cook? Like, you know. But it, it started to get real when obviously financially we st- things started to get a bit more stable and we yes. then moved out and we we started renting somewhere by ourselves. That's when it was like, okay, we're really married now. And that's mm. when we had to really start looking at what pain was and what mm. I was really feeling. And I think it was when I went for my first, <laughs> I went for my first like scan or something just to see what was going on, just to investigate because my periods had always been they always been regular but very very painful, and I was always getting. Oh, I was just going to ask you that. So when you mentioned pain, like what kind of pain were you having? Were you having a monthly, like, really pain, or like just give us a little bit of insight to? So with my periods, my periods were always heavy, mm-hmm. um, and they always were painful. Some months better than others, not as bad as others. But what was more alarming, because that I thought was just normal. Um, what was more alarming is that I used to always get sporadic pain and I still do now sometimes. So like I could just be sitting here and then all of a sudden I'll get like a very intense, like period sharp pain in my stomach for no, like I'm not on my period, nothing. It's not, it could be two days after, it could be three days. Like I'll just be in pain for, and it'd be like gripping me for like 10 minutes and then it's gone. But it can happen maybe three or four times a day or like some days once, some days none. It was just a sporadic pain. So, But I never said anything because I never thought anything of it. I just thought that's just what being a woman was about. Hmm. And, um, you know, so we went for the doctor, went for the scan, and they did the initial scan, and I went for the results. And I don't remember the guy's name, but I can see his face in my head. And, and he said, oh, yes, uh, yeah, I've been married for this long. It was Nigerian. And he said, hmm, yeah, fibroids, lots of them, lots of fibroids. And that was it. And I just was like, uh, what? Okay. That, that so I just have lots of fibroids. And for me, I was like, what is that? I've never heard, you know, so I, I was so sad. And I remember going to my friend's house crying like, oh my gosh, she said I've lots of fibroids. What does that even mean? Like there was no education. There was no, and I was just like, why do I have fibroids? I don't know anyone in my family who has this, con- like, cause I didn't know. I was like, mm-hmm. I don't know what this means. Mm. That was disappointment number one. And then we went for, for, for more tests and um, we came across a consultant who um, 
now suggested that I should do a laparoscopy where just to investigate what was going on because I think I then discovered there were there had been problems with, with in my family but I didn't know about it no one thought to tell me it was one of my bugbears of our community is that people don't talk about these things openly no. so there had been no. issues with people before but nobody said yeah so and I, if yeah. I just if I just stop you there mm-hmm. like you mentioned that is an issue that I find that you people don't speak openly about it and many people could be going through the same thing imagine you're sitting next to each other your friends mm-hmm. your family mm-hmm. and you're going through the same thing but because you haven't shared with each other yep. you're just there going through the pain alone yep always and and I think it's it's you're not only are you going through the pain alone um it's even the joy you you you're, mm. it's, it's only partial right Right. So when if if you then get pregnant you don't tell anybody that you've tried and you've done all of this then I rejoice with you mm. but I don't fu- I don't get to fully rejoice in your journey because I didn't mm. know what it cost you do you understand mm. what I mean like absolutely when someone um I don't know like if if somebody had been trying to like Mo Farah, I guess, when he did that marathon, like because pe- people had been watching the story for so long before he yeah. actually ran it, and then he ran. Like your elation is so much more because mm-hmm. you know what it cost him. Or why do you think people on X Factor they tell all the backstory? It's because when yeah. that person finally wins, you're like, oh my gosh, yes, you can empathize it gives people an opportunity to really rejoice with you and you feel it you know Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, so um we we found this um this this um went for this laparoscopy and um we received the most discouraging news which was that um both my tubes were blocked and not only were they blocked but they were filled with fluid so what that meant was with those that fluid would would be one probably be causing all the sporadic pain that I was mm. getting and also would if I ever did get pregnant um naturally or through IVF it would because the, the fluid is probably poisonous so it would probably just kill the the, the fetus oh anyway oh um so his recommendation was well you know that we should have them removed but obviously having them removed means I'm sterile. So I was like, how did you even feel at that moment? Like, I can't, I can't even imagine that you would expect to hear something like that. No, I was thinking the dude was going to put me under, prod my ovaries, and I was going to wake up, go home, have sex with my husband. And within nine months, I was going to be pregnant. That is honestly what I thought was going to happen. Um, and for me, waking up and looking at a doctor, and you know when they sit on the edge of your bed, you know that's not that's that's never a good sign. That's something's wrong. Like when they're sitting down, when they're standing up, usually everything's fine. When they're sitting down, it means that there's a reason, right? So I remember walking out, and I I put my hand over my mouth because I wanted to scream. And I, I just fell to the floor. I just put my hand over my mouth and I just, I just cried. I, I just cried. I, 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 I just cried. And the whole way home, I was just numb. Like, and I think I had to get the train home because mm. it was in central London. I just remember getting the train home, like being numb, like, 
what did they just tell me? Um, and obviously I was still sore because I'd been cut out, not cut open, but, you know, they'd done surgery. So I, I was... How did your husband take it? You know, he was, he's very, he's like, if he's any more laid back, he'd be sleeping. Like, he literally is so laid back. Um, and he's very, very, str- I wouldn't say, str- he's like titanium, like, no, I'm upset he didn't cry at my wedding. Like, I was really upset he didn't cry on the wedding day. I mean, he did cry, but it was in the Holy Ghost moment. It wasn't like, like me. He <laughs> said, there's not enough tears. I need more enough. Tears. No, like, you know when you see people on Instagram and they put their wedding and their husband's like, oh, yeah, she's so beautiful. Like, I'm just like looking at my husband like, I want that again. Please. That's what I need from you. I need to see that I move your heart that way. But, um, yeah, so he 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 was very he was very quiet. He didn't really say much, and to this day, we've never really brought it up. Um, I think all he was thinking was, "What's the solution? Um, what can we do? What can we do?" And I think that's when it got really real for him. That oh yeah. my gosh, okay, this baby stuff is this is not a joke now. And I think that's when he was like, "Okay, we need to do everything we can to get pregnant." Um, but up until then, it was just like, oh, you're stressing. Why are you stressing? You know, but then it was like, oh, like, this is serious. Like, whoa, yeah. I just said this about my wife. Mm-hmm. Um, and and we went through all sorts of different emotions. I was very, I, I, I went inward. So I'd say I went into a lot of like, I tried to start saying what's wrong with me what have I done wrong but I wasn't allowed to certain people I was around set of Christians that I was around at the time wouldn't allow me to kind of really explore that properly and didn't allow me to grieve Mm. um because now looking back I think if I was to do that I I would allow myself time to grieve to be sad to 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 let go of the you know the the the, I don't know absolutely and I think that's such an important part of the process when we go through disappointments like you have to actually grieve the loss or grieve the could have been or grieve you have to grieve that and if you don't I remember I was talking to Amy, who is a therapist, a few episodes um, back. And, you know, those things, they stay in -hmm. your body. They don't leave. So if you suppress it and you don't allow the process to happen or you don't grieve it, it's not like it's just going to disappear. It's just going to be there. And it can't wait if it's five years old, if it's 20 years old, Mm -hmm. and it will wait. And then different things will can trigger it and mm-hmm. I just find that so interesting because um I think it was a, a few months ago my mum um was telling me about you know a loss and so after after she had me I think a few months later she was um she was pregnant with um uh, not a few months maybe like a year or two or whatever um I would have had a brother and I remember she she told me that she'd lost the baby but then 
she's telling me now 30 something years later again and she acknowledged that she she didn't grieve that process and out of all of the things that she had gone through in her life that's coming up now 30 years later like it's on her mind she's thinking about it so i think it is really real that we have to grieve the losses of what we hoped for that didn't happen mm-hmm. in a way or however you know we wanted it so I'm not going to sorry I, I don't want to take too much of the time in the story but I just wanted to share like I remember when my husband passed away like you know, I was grieving a loss but I was also good grieving the never gonna be mm-hmm. so like that we're not gonna have another child together again or we're not going to be able to see our children, you know, graduate or hold our grandchildren. I had to grieve those losses because mm. that is not going to happen. Mm. So I had to go through a process of thinking about all of these things that we're not going to do. And then after that, it's not a one day process. It is a process. And after that being like, this is sad, but it's okay. I've, I've come to accept that this is not going to be and it is what it is so yeah I think it's so so important that we have to grieve those losses so continue sorry I yeah, took- no no it's so important and I think what the reason why people don't do it is because they're scared that they're going to get trapped in it absolutely they're scared that if I actually acknowledge that this thing hurts mm. I'm not going to be able to recover I'm not going to be able to like get my head back together again like and I think that's especially in our community we're just we're petrified of pain Mm. we say that we believe that God can heal everything but we are we are petrified of our own pain of Mm. dealing with our own pain of acknowledging our own pain we're just scared Mm. and they were scared because immediately I said I feel as though I remember the day I said I feel as though I'm being punished or there's something like that, or this is all my fault. And instead of saying, oh, why do you think that? No, that's, that's not, it's not all your fault. Or I don't know, just helping me work out and trying to bring healing to myself, that, which is what I'm learning now. It was more like, no, don't let the devil say that to you. Like, wait, hang on. It's not the devil. It's me though. Like I'm saying it to myself. This isn't the devil. This is me. I'm concerned that I am doing this to myself. Yes, the devil has his point, but this isn't the devil. I'm thinking this is this is me. I'm actually thinking these things and I'd like some prayer about it, you know. Um, but I didn't get that opportunity. Um, and, you know, thank I'm ever so grateful that we've miraculously found the money to then, to do the IVF privately. Mm. So before you mm. go on, your IVF journey I want to ask you a question actually mm-hmm. so going like in deciding to do IVF like what was the decision path in that because there are some Christians that would be like okay you know what let's wait upon the Lord God will do it and there's you know certain different things like we could talk about IVF we could talk about you know um healing we can also talk about you know even dating the Lord will provide somebody from yeah. heaven yeah and anything so what was the thought path in relation to then opting for IVF there wasn't any other option that was it like for me it was like there is no other option 
So I felt like I didn't feel like there was another option. Mm. Um, we thought we spoke about adoption. Okay. Um, we spoke about adoption and we still believe in adoption and we still, and we always said that if this doesn't work, we are adopting. It's not yeah. like that is, that's, this is either this or we're adopting mm-hmm. um, and we still want to adopt, hopefully by God's grace. Mm-hmm. Um, but what it was, because the doctor had said it's, you can, you can choose not to, but you will continue to be in pain. And my husband mm-hmm. had seen me be in random times of pain like really bad like I'd just be walking somewhere and I'd have to stop Mm. like so he could see the suffering and also he like I think because the fear of actually okay we could get pregnant and then something could happen to the child because of what was going on with myself Mm -hmm. um really frightened and then obviously they did find cysts on my ovaries as well which is so it was not and then I did have a fibroid so there were all these different medical things that my husband was like look let's just let's just do this um and in my head it was like would I rather have a life of pain or not and I was like no I don't fancy a whole life of pain so let's get these out and as for waiting for God for healing that never even came into my mind I've got friends now who, you know, are still choosing to wait on God. Because, mm-hmm. But it, I never mm-hmm. saw the science as a problem. And I think it's because yeah. years ago, when I was, there was two instances that this refers to. When I was in secondary school, I remember learning about Dolly the sheep and cloning. Yes. And... I remember saying that is disgusting. Why would anyone do something like that? You know, that's just playing with God. That's what I said. I was like, that's just playing God. And I, I think I felt the same about IVF. So I was just like, I remember reading it in, in RE. I was like, these people are just playing God. Then um, when I was at uni, I think I was at uni or when I just left uni, I think I'd just left uni or do my second, maybe it was when I was 22 or something. I remember hearing this clearly from God, your children will be children of science. Wow. I thought, thought, oh, my children are going to be scientists. That's honestly, that's what I thought. So amazing. I I just got like goosebumps when you said that. So then when this happened, to me, it was like, oh, that's what that meant. Not children of science as in doctors. They literally be made by using science. I was like, okay. And also, I think I just never saw the doctors as a problem. And I was just saying to a friend as well that even if um, I do this IVF, life itself, as in a heartbeat, cannot be replicated, cannot be produced by science. Scientists can only put the egg, and the, that was that's what helped me as well. The doctor who treated me said, I think either he is a Muslim or he's a Christian, because he said this. He said, All we do is take the egg and the sperm and put them together and put them back into where they should be. We put them into you. The rest is left to God. Yes. They cannot make that egg attached to the womb. 
that even if they could, they cannot scientifically replicate the heartbeat. They can't do it. So life, no matter how much, how you help it, can only ever be attributed to the hand of God. Only. So I I came to that conclusion that, okay, we're going to do IVF. And even if it's IVF, it's only going to be God who does this life. Because before then, um, you know, I had in-laws who were trying to take me to different churches, trying to get me to, to... to pray certain prayers, to drink certain things, to eat certain ways, to lift my... I had someone who demonstrated how to have sex with my husband and who told me what to declare whilst having sex with And I made up in my mind, this child is going to be a child of God. It's not going to be a child of any church, not any pastor, not any deacon. This child is going to come through the hand of God only. That's it. Whether a doctor helps me, whether whoever, this is God who's bringing this child to me. And I, and I just, I fixed my mind on that. And then I also um, did a study of every pregnant, every barren woman, um, every woman who was named barren in the Bible. And I discovered yes. that there were seven women in the bible which is seven the number of perfection and i did this long long study about every single woman in the bible um and wrote pages and pages like about each woman in the bible which really really helped me um through that time um, and, what, and what did you learn from that like what would be the key takeaway so if there is another woman that's going through that process now like what did you learn by studying um, those oh, gosh. I know it's a book I know it's a book I wrote so much but um oh, from different women I learned different things like my favorite one out of all seven was the Shunammite woman and the reason why I love this woman so much is because she said one line she said something that to this day is just amazing she said don't raise my hopes so mm. for anyone who's listening who doesn't know the story, so this Shunammite woman sees the prophet. I've forgotten the name of the prophet. It's been so long since I read it. So sees the prophet and is like, oh, this prophet keeps coming to this area, you know. Um, and says to her husband, let's, let's, you know what? I'm going to buy, I'm going to build the house for him and, and set up a room for this guy so that when he comes and he comes to preach or whatever, you know, he's going to have somewhere to sleep, like at least off her own back so she obviously has money she has influence she goes she gets the land she builds this house gives it to him and so um i think it was elijah i think or elisha said oh said to his um his like apprentice i said oh what should we do to this woman that that she's done she's done so well like she's done so nice for us like what should we do for her and he goes oh you know she has no children like you know he said oh tell her to come to me so he sees her and he says listen this time next year, you're going to have a baby. Mm. And you're going to have a son. And I remember the amount of times people saying to me, this time next year, don't worry, it's your turn. Or, you know, happy new year, don't worry, it's your turn. Um, happy Mother's Day in, in advance, don't worry, it'll be your turn. Like, And I was just like, stop saying these things, right? 
And so when I read in the Bible, she said, don't raise my hopes. I, I identified with it so much. This is a woman who was like, to me, was like a boss woman. She had influence. She knew people in the world. She knew, she she had money. She she was sensible. She recognized opportunity. This is not some woman who's sitting there like, oh, I need a child. She's not one of the, she was a boss. Like this woman was a boss. She was a boss. She commanded money. She she spoke to her husband with wisdom. He respected her. Like, she was clever. And she just looked at this prophet and was like, dude, I'm not going to cuss your God, but don't come here and razzmatazz <laughs> my head. Eh? Don't do that. That's how I envisioned her, right? And I loved it and identified with it. And so true to the word, true to, to God, he, the child came. And it was a son and she was happy. But one day the boy stopped breathing. Mm. This woman, this, this, that's why I loved her. She was gangster. She just thought, eh, this guy is dead. Just carry the son to the prophet and said, come and carry your something. (laughs) Shabi, I told you, don't raise my hopes. I told Mm. you, don't sell me pipe dreams and see Mm. what has happened. And, and I, I, I learned so much from that woman. I learned that God cared about my heart. God doesn't need me to come into agreement with the fact that I'm going to have a kid for me to have yeah. a kid. He doesn't mm. need my faith. If he's going to do it, he's going to do it. Like, mm-hmm. he doesn't need it. And I also love, love the fact that about that, that God cares about the state of my heart and he knows the truth and he doesn't care anyway. So he's still going to bless me. And yeah. I, I loved the fact that he loves my strength. He loves the fact that I know like how to make money or I've got creativity. He loves my character. He, he also knows that I have faith that I won't cuss him out, but I'm going to tell him real talk. Like God, me and you are not friends right now. I'm not liking what you're doing. Like I just learned so much from her. I loved that story. And it just inspired me. I also, it was the other woman that I love so much as well. There was so many that I learned. Um, no, she was she was my favorite. She she really was my favorite. You should definitely share. I'm so I'm so sure that it will bless a lot of people that are going through, you yeah. know, that in life. So I know you we have a lot long list of projects. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's definitely high on my priority. I started doing it on my YouTube, um, oh, sharing oh. stories. But then I started to feel like a preacher, and I was like, I'm not a preacher. But, you know, and so I I developed a complex. But that that's just for me to learn. But I think um, if anything, you know, I'm I'm always open to share. But the stories in the Bible, honestly, reading them during that time was a was a massive source of encouragement um for for when I and and also I think I started to discover more than ever that's when my me realizing that God loved me really began yeah like that that's when I really was like God loves me like I don't know why I don't know why it was then that I just, because it, it seems like such an, like it seems like such a juxtaposition, right? Why would you yeah. think that God loves you at this time when you desperately want something from him and he's not giving it to you? Why, why would you, but I just did. I just, I just started to believe that God really loves me. And yeah. I really just started meditating on, on his love for me. Like God really, lo- and I still didn't get it. It's still, I don't think it became real until much later on in my marriage. Mm. 
through different circumstances, but it's the seed was sown then that yes. God loves me. Yeah. And and just saying it over and over, God loves me. Like his love is like crazy. And oh my gosh, he loves me. He really, really loves me. And okay, this is really painful, but he really loves me. And I, I think I was seeing his handiwork. I wasn't seeing his hand, but I was seeing his handiwork tracing it. I was like, oh, isn't it funny how this started happening around this time? And how am I finding these stories of these women in the Bible that I've never read before? And I'd never, to this day, I've never heard anyone talk about these women so passionately um, in the Bible. But I, I really do believe that that discouragement was was used. So it had blessed me. Like, yes. It's been painful, you yeah. know, and it's been hard to accept that God yeah. wouldn't do things the way I wanted to. Even now, I was saying to a friend um, that, you know, every year I'm reminded. I'd rather yeah. not be reminded that we had to, I had to go through surgery and I've had to, had to have IVF. I'd rather just forget. But yeah. every year I get a letter through the post asking me to pay for storage for the rest of the embryos that we have. Yeah. Um so every year I, it's like, I feel like I'm going back to that. Or when mm. you hear of someone like today, I got, uh, you know, I found out one of my, someone I knew just had their fourth baby. I didn't even know she was pregnant. Um, it's things like that, that you, you know, people who can just get pregnant choose yeah. to, you know, it, it, it can be quite difficult to still process. It's still a source of discouragement, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. It is mm-hmm. still quite a sensitive area for me and myself because I'd love children, you know. Yes, yeah. I'd love more, um, but I the reality I don't think. But then, then I start taking. I think I use humor to deflect a lot of pain. Sometimes I think a lot of people do that. So I've got, I've got my hand raised. That's that's like, absolutely me. Like yeah. who is in the depths of grief and making inappropriate yeah. jokes? dry humor that's 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 me me. I'm right there that's the only way I can cope right now um so like sometimes um when people are talking about oh um contraception or something like that I'm like no me I'm open 27 27 (laughs) at least I save my money on condoms like I I I make like (laughs) if not it becomes like something that I like over like oh my gosh I wish I was this you know like because I've and it's still the other part of it is that now even now I'm still struggling with hormonal imbalance mm. which I didn't think that of and nobody told me that I might have an Im- hormonal imbalance and it's not necessarily been scientifically proven like I've not had tests to prove it but I know I am because mm-hmm. it was like it was only this year that I gave myself peace to say mm. that you will be imbalanced hormonally because you don't have two bits of your body. Like, (laughs) right. You know, when women have their, um, is it hysterectomy or whenever they have the whole room removed? Yeah. They're on hormone balances for the rest of their life. HRT or whatever it is. They're on drugs for the rest of their life because your body's not meant like there is certain hormones that your womb gives off to make everything in balance so when you're not on it you go into early menopause and then you've got to take this stuff for the rest of your life 
And me personally, I've got like I've not had my whole womb removed, but I've had my tubes removed, and that's I'm pretty sure that does cause some kind of um, sure balance imbalance, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so when I do suffer very strongly from um, so I've why have I P oh anyway, it's severe um, PMS. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's very, very bad. My my mood can really, really drop. PMDD, that's it. So mm-hmm. I suffer from PMDD, which is where your mood goes like really, really, really bad during your mm-hmm. period, like you're a different person. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so then it, that's even a source of like, I'm like, God, like seriously, it's not enough that you didn't like <laughs> make it work for me. Now for the rest of my life, I need to... <laughs> I have to deal with this. I have to deal, have with, to deal with this. Like, can't I just be normal? Um, right. And, and, you know, I say I say that with, and also I, God only knows. And then you start to think about how it affects your husband, how it affects your children. Mm. Um, how, although, you know, they don't know nothing about, you know, my mm. kids have no clue. Like, <laughs> they don't get anything. Um, and, and that's the way it should be. Yeah. But, you know, for my husband, um, you know, it, it makes things different for him yeah. in terms of how he feels about us having more children, if if that should happen, I doubt. But, you know, yeah. it could. Yes, absolutely. It makes him think about it differently. Absolutely, because it's, yeah, he's seen a different side to the whole process. Yeah. It's just, yeah. Yeah. Really, really. Yeah, so that's, that's my long story. <laughs> lost the end of it okay so the IVF and then okay yeah so IVF so we had um IVF and then I fell pregnant with my son um so we're really fortunate that we got I mean I over hyper stimulated so there was a lot of complications with my eye not a lot of complications I shouldn't say that there weren't a lot of complications but um when you're on IVF and you're taking drugs you can um, you taking drugs like I'm sniffing something. Serious. <laughs> I meant like when they put you in the hormone stuff. <laughs> um, you can you're in big danger of overstimulating, which means that you, your your. So they give you hormones to make you make more eggs. Okay. And they can over, like you can react so well to the hormones. But it means you overproduce like eggs. So, you know, usually every month you only produce one. Okay. Mm-hmm. And that's painful enough for some people. So when they stimmed me, I guess because I'm, I was quite young at the time in relation to all the other mums, maybe they've dealt with before. Cause usually I think it's people maybe like who are like in their late thirties, usually mm-hmm. um, who are doing IVF. And I was in my mid when no I was in my late 20s which for them is still very young they kept telling me you're so young you're so young I was like okay whatever by everybody else's standard I'm old um um, by Nigerian standard you're like you're ancient by 29 um so I I um yeah by 29 I was I was doing this so I yeah so when they gave me the drugs I think no not I think I was teaching at the time and they had to call an ambulance and the ambulance had to pick me up from the from the school playground oh my goodness because my womb had just like ballooned so I looked pregnant even though I wasn't I was they were just trying to make my eggs mature so that I could produce more eggs 
And so usually every woman produces one egg a month or maybe two, if you're lucky, like you re- you reduce, like you, you release, sorry, two eggs. Um, but they're not mature in your in your ovaries, if that makes any sense. I'm probably getting all yeah. the science wrong, but they're not mature in your ovaries. So what they were try they try to do is to mature those eggs so that they could harvest them. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Mm-hmm. Um, so when they did that to me, basically, I my body was just like, oh, fun, great, extra drugs. Let's just go into overdrive. So I. <laughs> <laughs> my body was like yay let's go crazy so I produced something like I don't know 30 eggs or something like that. um and that day they collected like 24 25 um which was very painful and um they had to give me morphine <laughs> because I was in so much pain it was only supposed to be like an hour surgery or whatever like in and out and I was just like couldn't walk couldn't like do anything it was it was it was not great um which was again I was like god come on can anything just go right here Um, so yeah then then I had to be signed off work and it was just really stressful because then that you have so when that you overstimulate if you if you go to overstimulation your body goes into overdrive and that means that they 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 won't do the embryo transfer so So you have until so they'll have to cancel that cycle and you'll have to start all over again okay um so thankfully for me they managed to catch me in time to like get my body to um to calm down so that Mm -hmm. I could still go ahead with my cycle and then I had I got pregnant um with my son first Mm -hmm. time round we thank god we're so grateful um so then I'll stop you in that moment Man, Susan's story is so encouraging. Like the first point that really stood out to me was um, when she spoke about um, just being encouraged by the stories in the Bible. Like in that hard season is when she actually discovered that, you know, God loves me. And I can definitely testify to that, that when you're in a hard season, you realize you can realize that you are so loved and even you know for me my seasons of life I in the hard seasons I know that I'm loved and it's such a source of encouragement the second thing that just sent goose pimples down me was when she said that God spoke to her and said your children will be children of science oh my gosh And then years later, you're like, oh, this is what you meant. I just found it so amazing and so inspiring that, you know, God will give us revelations for our future. And we hold on to those words. And then it helps us make, you know, decisions and go forward with things in the future so yeah it's so so amazing don't forget to tune in for the part two which is coming soon and hear the rest of the story i'm telling you it's amazing you're not gonna want to miss it okay take care god bless you are loved and you are seen